Hello, everybody. My name is Len, and today I'm talking to Matt Taylor, who is, uh, good morning, Matt. Matt is in Ecuador. He is a retired electrical engineer from the U.S., living in South America. He has studied rainwater, masks, swabs, and injectables for the duration of the pandemic. Uh, how are you, Matt? I'm doing well, Len. Thanks for having me. This will be great. It, it will be great. We've connected through David Nixon. We, we're aware of uh, each other's uh, research. I actually have a personal story. The first time I heard your name is when your video of uh, vaccines went viral. And my boss at that time brought it to a meeting and shared it with other people in the sense that, ha, 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 look at this. Uh, this uh, crazy engineer in Ecuador found nanobots in vaccines. And so everybody was supposed to laugh. And I was the only one who was not laughing. I said, Rick, nanotechnology is a real thing. Tell me again what's funny. And so that's my personal story. That my, that was my introduction to Matt Taylor. And now years later, we're on the same podcast talking about the future of humanity. Literally, there's no other way to put it. Uh, yes, uh, the, we it, it keeps getting more serious. And the, and the response from us is initial shock and then just move on with the, the, the next weird thing. This is all so weird. We've never been here before. So it's an interesting frontier. And uncharted territory. We put together a presentation and it's really interesting how it came about. I had a list of questions that I wanted to answer myself and I asked Matt to answer them. So this is a collaborative work. So some of the slides uh, you will see with the questions, some of the slides we you will see with answers. If it has blue background, these are my answers. And then Matt has his own slide. So we will be discussing and learning from each other in real time. Let's start the presentation. So no, and this is neat because it's true collaboration. We literally took our slides and just shuffled them together. <laughs> so this is great. I never heard of anybody doing this. And, you know, it's not science with a trademark. This is real science because we, we're truly, literally learning and doing things ourselves. It's like a do-it-yourself science. Most valuable form of science. Today's conversation is why Mac address a meeting phenomenon is a game changer in the COVID conversation. Matt and Len looking for answers. Today is October 23rd. Ooh, ah, 2023. <laughs> a type right there. You wish it was 2022. Oh, I so wish it <laughs> And I think we are at the interesting point when the old questions is will be replaced with a new question. And the old question, when people talk about pandemic and people talk about COVID, the first question that came to mind, have you been vaccinated? This is no longer a, the most interesting question. The most interesting and important question is, do you have intrabody network? And we, this is exactly what the topic of today's conversation is. 
And we're going to start with the first question. What is a MAC address and how is it normally used in network communication? My question is that uh, Media Access Control or MAC is a 12-digit number. The first uh, three pairs belong to the organization that issued this hardware. And the last three speak about the network interface controller specifications. So any wireless hardware, would it be your uh, headphones or uh, wireless speakers or what else? So any wireless hardware would have this 12 digit uh, number and it is used in so-called Bluetooth protocol. And Bluetooth protocol works within a very narrow uh, radio frequency range, 2.4 to 2. 0.48 gigahertz. So there's nothing mysterious about it. It's a wireless protocol to connect your computers or wireless devices or routers to other pieces of hardware. Uh, those are hexadecimal and the, that's they represent zero through 15. And that's why you see a mix of letters and numbers. Um, also, with these kinds of things, Bluetooth and Bluetooth Low Energy are two different technologies. They're similar and they communicate similarly, but we're talking about Bluetooth Low Energy when it comes to what's being emitted from the body. And it's uh, it's very, very microwatt kind of burst transmission. So it doesn't require a tremendous amount of energy, um, but it also, the, the way that it's, the way that it presents itself is that it's very, very readable. It doesn't have to be queried. It it broadcasts certain data points, and that's what you read on your on your device. That's what's being read out. And uh, just a kind of a note that is meaningful, maybe later, maybe now. But um, those those addresses, these codes, must be registered with the FCC. The you and the ones that are coming up now are uh, anonymous or NA or things like that. So that's one of our big clues on this. So if they're not named and they don't have uh, a manufacturer uh, and a make and model kind of thing, then that's a red flag for them not being legal, which means that they were probably imposed, which means that they nobody knows that you have them. So that's a an interesting thing about the Bluetooth low energy protocol. If I made my own wireless device and I would assign it my own manufacturer's address but not registered it would that be legal uh, during an er experimental phase that would be okay as long as it was just in a lab but as soon as it became a product you would have to register that another question i have is the difference between bluetooth technology and ble or bluetooth low energy technology what kind of difference in power uh, we can talk about that. Uh, I don't. I I won't assign numbers to them because I don't know them. the The reason for the Bluetooth low energy was just that, that there's a trade off in between amount of data that's possible to be pushed back and forth versus the amount of power it takes to do so. And in the in the low energy case, they just decided to minimize the energy, so they had to reduce the data stream. So it's more simple. It's more uh, there's less data being transferred back and forth compared to typical Bluetooth, but uh, it doesn't need a lot of juice to power it up. I use several Mac address detecting apps. And one of them, which I like, it doesn't only display 
the MAC address, but it also displays the amount of energy the signal has. And it's typically very low. It's like in the minus, common sense dictates that if the energy is minus, there's like less than zero energy. How does it, how does it make sense? I think what you're probably seeing, and I haven't seen the, the specific app that you're talking about, but I've seen some others that the, it's called an RSSI, relative strength, relative signal strength indication. And that's measured in, in dB, lowercase d, capital B. That's that's true. Um, and that's basically a gain factor. So the it's it's a logarithmic scale and like minus 93 dB is a weaker signal than minus 50 dB. You're correct. That's just a nerdy way of, of looking at signal strength. But um, every device has a threshold of what it can accept as a valid signal. And all of this stuff is just lowered down to get into the microwatt, you know, slow data rate. It's specifically designed to not need a whole lot of juice to get it going. And uh, I think these the ones who we're asserting are being uh, emitted by people's bodies in the low energy, uh, they can be minus 60 to minus 90 dB and still get a, a very fair signal. And that's a whisper of a signal. Uh, absolutely. And it's also very useful to confirm the source of a MAC address emission. So if it's a person who stands next to me, I can see minus uh, 63 dB. And then I ask that person to go 50 feet or 70 feet away, and I see minus 93. So that's a weak, weaker signal. I ask him to come back, read again, signal strength goes up. That is a proof that person is movable object that can walk and <laughs> communicate to you. We that we call Homo sapiens is emitting radio frequency. Last time I checked. Humans are not supposed to be emitting radio frequency. I mean, we have like very, very low voltage. I mean, our central nervous system produces that, but nothing that can be read with a wireless device. No, uh, and especially understood by a wireless device. That's that's proof in the pudding. That's exactly that's that's interesting. That even the naturally occurring electromagnetic network that might be emitting some kind of form of radio uh, signal would not produce digits. In your experience, is MAC address emitted by people stable or dynamic? I wish I knew. And a, a lot of my responses are going to be, I don't know, or I, I don't have enough data to say yes or no on that. I'm, we're, we're registering static ones from different locations, which means that they don't change. And we're getting volunteers to go and look, but they, they are changing. Meaning that when I read a whole bunch of people, they're not always the same. So we don't know which ones are changing, but we know that they are. What's interesting to me is when we first discovered this uh, over a year ago, they're changing more rapidly now. So the where before they looked more mostly static and they would just change one or two digits. Now they're really changing dynamically. So it's a, uh, it's a moving target for sure. But I think that's also they're maturing the technology or at least bringing it online is what I'm saying. It sounds like the technology is uh, becoming more robust and um, information heavy. Have you seen humans emitting multiple MAC addresses? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've read four in one person. 
to me, that signifies that they would have multiple emitters. Is that your impression as well? And we're trying to track those down as well. The 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 sensitive part, I'd, I would prefer to do all this research outside of the body, frankly, especially when it comes to like energizing them or any kind of perturbing of the of those signals. I don't want to increase the emission of 2.4 gigahertz from someone's body. I, I would have a hard time increasing their radiation exposure. So I'm, I'm sensitive about that. But the, the, the overarching theme to me is that without your knowledge, you have a gigahertz device emitting from your body. And that alone is very, very, it, it has a possibility of being mutagenic. It's, it's literally the same frequency as a microwave does to heat up your and cook food. So having that inside of your body, that's, that's pretty scary right there. But it's the permission that I'm really looking at. And the, the body does have its own network and it's probably in the terahertz range and I can't measure that. So in all my responses, I'm, I'm almost bound by my profession and definitely by the way I think that the, that diagram is beautiful and it's nice, but I have to be able to show it. So that's, uh, it will be frustrating, I think, for, for your audience. Some If I can't show it or I, I haven't measured it, I won't say anything about it. And that's just the, the engineer inside. But that the contrapositive of that is if I have seen it, then I can report it. Okay. And the MAC address is there. There is direct evidence and multiple evidence of people's body emitting a readable technological code from their body without influence of anything else. So the only finding that I that I will I will stake my reputation, my life and all of my fortune on is that people are emitting these things. And that uh, from there, we can trickle down to the other what ifs. But that is the case. And that is actually the thing that's being attacked the most. This is not being discussed and it's part of the conversation. And that's what we're doing here is pushing that conversation forward. We absolutely must to push this conversation yes. forward. Uh, but this is one of the reasons that I've been very open about my ability to meet MAC address. We did a formalized study. I'm in Illinois. I'm working with a wonderful group of people called Medical Freedom of Illinois. They provided uh, me with support, organizing a well-designed, double-blind, placebo-controlled, two-phase clinical trial, which I published on my academia page. We only had six vaccinated people and 17 unvaccinated people. And unfortunately, I am vaccinated and I was the only one who was emitting MAC address. Since then, we improved our technological capabilities and we might be repeating that study again. And on top of that, I am doing microscopy. Everybody, a lot of people doing microscopy. And I'm trying to correlate the finding of nanotechnology in human blood with their ability to emit MAC address. So that's a whole brand new uh, direction of research for me. And this, uh, it was all spurred by this MAC address emitting phenomenon. So yeah, we have a lot of work to do. It will be published, or at least it will be submitted for publication. And if not, there's academia, you can self-publish. It's a completely new paradigm. People are doing science, people are doing microscopy, people are applying scientific method because there are no high priests of science, except for uh, Mr. Fauci, of course. 
we know how to apply scientific method. Okay, uh, here's here's a question: Are you are you Lynn convinced that you are emitting a MAC address? Absolutely, uh, triple double checked. I did it multiple times with the help of a technician. I did it the other day just to confirm myself. And what's the most interesting part about that? My recent trip to a nature preserve, I found an area no Wi-Fi. Nothing emits uh, any radio signals except, you know, environmental. What I found in really interesting is that after checking my own MAC address with the Android uh, Android phone uh, with um, uh, that has been put in the developer mode, and it wasn't able to read unnamed BLE devices and this specific piece of application that once again measures the trend of the signal. I checked my own MAC address and I was emitting it. There were no other devices uh, within um, at least a thousand uh, feet around. And after checking it several times, I noticed that it disappeared. So I went back to the car, I sat down next to my iPhone and then went back to the nature preserve again, went sufficiently far, got my Android, checked the Mac address, and it was emitting again. So the hypothesis mm -hmm. is that my Mac address emitter was recharged by my iPhone. It is possible that it's an electric car, I might be getting re recharged from uh, that piece of equipment. But I also have an Android phone with me and the Android phone is registered on somebody else's name, but it was recharged from my phone or my car. And that yeah. is a brand new question that I have to deal with and have to research it further i'm going to talk about you like you're not here i want everyone to note that len bear was the first person to come out as a researcher and say that he is emitting one of these addresses i will guarantee you that many other people in the movement have the same phenomenon and they're not talking about it so i will i will call you brave but that doesn't quite cut it um this is a this is a new frontier in terms of people coming to terms with this so you are uh, illustrating the bravery that's necessary to, it's, it's not even an admission, it's just a, oh my goodness, I have one of these things. My question is, why are you the first? Why aren't other people talking about this? I know they have them, they just haven't checked or something like that. So that's one of the things that we can talk about today too, if you'd like, is the, uh, David Hughes calls it the, the nano-resistant mindset, right? Yeah. But um, my hope is that this stuff is not going to be scary, but um, we have to understand something in order to fix it. So the, this is this is you uh, being a model for everyone in the world who has one of these things. I appreciate. I, I'm very humbled by your words and you're very kind. I think I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do because this yes. will further the conversation. It will push the conversation now you know somebody who emits a mac address and who has nanotechnology in his blood and that's me and i am completely open about it because 
I think only through full transparency we can get full recognition and get the conversation going. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. Why don't we move on to the next question if you don't have any anything else? The question number two, what is the connection between the presence of nanotechnology and emitting MAC address by humans? The connection is such that the nanotechnology is the hardware that enables people to emit MAC address and to create body area network or intracorporeal network within the body. The hardware that you find in your typical hardware is not compatible with the body. It's not fluid. It probably induces immune response. So this nanotechnology, nano-size machinery, it's small in size, it's flexible, it can be fluid, we know it can be gel-like. It's literally like a bendable fluid computer. And it's compatible with human tissues and human immune system. And it uh, uh, comprises of nanosensors, nano-routers, and nano-antennas. So this is a nano-hardware to create your intrabodied network. And it enables emission of radio signal that we detect using Bluetooth technology. People will think that this is alien technology or they'll think that it's super, super high tech. But all the things that you listed right there, uh, if you take away the word nano, yeah. then we have all that other stuff, right? The We have sensors, we have routers, we have antennas. An antenna is literally a, an alloy and nothing more. So it's a simple device. A router is a little bit more uh, complicated. And then sensors are just two different kinds of materials that tend to respond to thermal that you can measure. So if you take out the nano, we have all that technology and literally making it smaller is not a big deal. And in many cases, it's easier. So this is this is an accessible technology. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't from an, any kind of alien race. This is just from a very, very well-funded project. The, the good news is that it's a government project. Uh, as say? one of the ethicists says, in order for this whole thing to work, the people need to be kept in the dark. And this is exactly why people don't know about it, because they've been kept in the dark on purpose. You also added this slide, so I would like you to comment and explain what you are showing to us, Matt. Yeah, I don't want people to think that I'm yelling at them. Um, the, the first step is to admit that you have a problem. I think they have those in all kinds of recovery programs, right? The I, I sincerely want people to address this technology and not be afraid of it. So that's that's my overarching theme, I think, is that you have something stuck in you. We can describe what that technology may look like. You have proof of it with your devices. So just go out there and measure it. Go out there and find it and see if it's a yes or a no answer. And then if curiosity takes over, you can go through an investigative process yourself with your friends or whatever. But if we can't even ask people if they've been vaxxed or not and get a truthful answer, how are we going to get to this question? So let's let's strip away the mythology and strip away all the, oh, I don't think that's happening. That's just random. That, that's, that's all garbage. So if, if many, many people prove that this is a thing, then all we have left is what kind of offense to take from it or to accept it 
which would be horrific in my view. But with this with this phenomenon that we can measure on our devices, it's one of the few loopholes we have into a plan that would put this technology into the body. It would be great to have all this other evidence and be able to find routers and pull them out of bodies and show them we don't have that. Based on your previous slide, that is likely to be true because these things can migrate around the body or they're liquid or they're three-dimensional, something else that we don't know. But we have turned the diagram, which is on the left, this is from Mick Anderson's work kind of explaining what the plan is. And we have this little window and it's literally a window on your phone that is evidence of that plan. And it's not that we have all the pieces, is that certain pieces exactly match and you can prove them time and time again. So whereas when they talk about the biological problems and the myocarditis and the paralysis and all these things, we have evidence that that came from the shot. This phenomenon literally has no other derivation than a very sophisticated technology putting in, putting into a vial, putting into a needle and putting into your body. This is direct evidence of that. And I think that's why we're getting so much pushback. But for the for the people who haven't yet seen this, go out and see it. You can, it's very, very easy to do. They can't make it go away right now because of the way that the BLE standard goes. And maybe they'll shut down the infrastructure that helps read this, but this is direct proof of a of a plan to implement with technology. And I suggest that everyone come to terms with that immediately. And then we can start to move forward. I have mixed feelings about this on one hand. I understand how hard it is to accept that this is happening. And people who are sort of optimistic in nature, you know, hope dies last. They hope that everything might still be okay. And I understand that's a sort of a human instinct that, you know, everything will be okay. It's just something we can overcome. No, this is qualitatively different technology, technology that changes everything. And that means that you have to deal with it like an adult. It, it, there's no place for unfounded optimism. I sympathize, but there's no other way. And you, Matt, said it very well. Fear kills people, I think. And if, if we can become unafraid of this and understand that this is a, a system that was designed by humankind so it can be disabled by humankind, then we have it beat. But to ignore it, it it's it's literally like ignoring a cancer or a or an aching tooth. You're going to deal with it eventually. And uh, coming to terms with it, uh, if it is a government-developed program, then there's all kinds of inconsistencies and errors and problems and blunders that are associated with these. So we just start picking at it and find those. It's okay. It's like any other technology that you, that you don't want around you. There's There are means and methods to make that not happen anymore. So when when we can start to, to you said, talk about it like an adult, I, I, I hope that it's not as scary as it would seem from the front of just discovering it. So that'll be the maximum fear. Everything else is going to be much less and much more understanding and uh, much more collaborative work. So this is after the initial contact. It's a uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. Oh, exciting is an understatement. Uh, when you said government, I want people to also remember that propaganda and misdirection is how government operates. 
they will admit to certain wrongdoing in order to cover up a bigger, much more important lie. And this is what I think is happening with vaccines when we finally seeing that the government admitted that, yes, it was not mRNA, it was mod RNA, that, yes, there is a contamination with plasmid DNA. And so once they admit to that, people might think, okay, well, now we know what's, what was wrong with it, but they will never tell you the much bigger lie much bigger plan and much more nefarious plan that they have uh, for you. And it's called paltering. This type of line is called paltering. So I will admit to wrongdoing in some smaller way in order to redirect your attention from this bigger lie. Know the term. This is paltering 101. <laughs> My next question. How does this technology get into the body, including, of course, self-assembly aspects? A lot of people are curious. I'm curious. This is my pharmaceutical straightforward answer. So it's a technology delivered into the body and uh, delivery methods include injectables, edibles, environmental contamination, uh, they can be inhalable and aerosolizable, as Dr. Giordano is educating us. And then when it comes to assembly, or in order to assemble something, you need an, an instruction. If you buy something from IKEA, it comes with instructions. So it's a program, it's a software. And uh, we well know that DNA and RNA is assembly software. This technology can be self-assembled so the uh, program is included within in the technology or it can be guided assembly in uh, the form of uh, external for example radio frequencies and the question that i really uh, stumbled upon is uh, what would stop the assembly when it is complete i don't have the answer to this question i'd like to know what you think about it matt Oh boy, that, that that last bullet point is the is the sticking point, and uh, that's what me and David and Shimon and you that that's what we're trying to stick together. Uh, I have I, I differ from a lot of my colleagues in a lot of different areas, but you you mentioned it a, a few slides back in the in the presentations I made before. They said, "Oh, engineer finds self assembling microchips within the vaccines." And I don't have any control over what they write down as the headline, but I never contended that. What I said is that there's evidence of self-assembly within the vaccines. That was my point. And they're using the, the convenience of these crystals in order to start to organize themselves. There is nothing saying that something that's a two-dimensional object on a two-dimensional slide has any resemblance to that within the human body. So if I were an evil chemist, engineer, bioengineer, whatever, um, there's no reason why you couldn't assemble that thing within a crystal instruction uh, a structure and then just release it as a liquid, as a gel that would float around. So that's my contention, is that it uses the crystalline form to organize itself, and then it can become whatever it wants to. So these things literally can be a liquid three-dimensional computing device that can adhere to the inside of 
any kind of cell, any kind of organ, any kind of tissue within the bloodstream, it doesn't really matter. But we we're taking this very, very complicated nano thing that makes a, a micro thing and saying that we know what this is. We have no idea what that thing is. All we know is that something weird is happening and that materials are being called and that they're being organized within this crystalline structure. What happens to it within the body, we don't know. But this is the evidence. So this is similar to the MAC address, which is we just have these small windows that we can start to identify. It doesn't mean that that's it or that that's the answer. It means it's part of the explanation of why some of this stuff is happening. That was a long-winded uh, way of saying that we don't know. But we do know that there is an assembly process and whether or not there's a real end or a finished product or anything like this, for something of this scale, all you would need is a functional device. So there's probably a confirmation signal that says, yes, we are now communicating, we're good. That's fair enough. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. I learned a lot about it. You suggested to put this slide uh, <laughs> while answering that this question, and this is this is beautiful. <laughs> this is modern art, and as the best, well, walk us through, please. Uh, it's it, in one sense, this is pretty damning evidence and in some places it's it's very very clear but this is the crappy evidence that we have that this assembly is happening and this is all we have so this is this is not magically creating a circuit that we can then put probes on and measure or anything like this this is just anecdotal evidence that something strange is happening so i would i would i would urge people not to take this stuff too seriously but to, to say that this is evidence enough to go and do more things with more tactile evidence like the mac address but these are some of the images that were early. These are probably close to two years old now. But there are some themes that are happening with all the things that they're injecting into the air and into the water and into the food supply, into medicines, and especially into injectables, where they all have this rhyming idea where there's an assembly process and then it calls materials to fill in that process. The lower left image is the best at that. But that's all we have. And any, any inferences beyond that, such as that these are going to become microchips inside the body, well, if that were true, we could find them. We could see them emitting and we could excise them. We could operate and pull them out and they would be a look like just, just like a microchip, but there's no evidence of that. So it's something else. It's not just this, but this is enough to say, wait a second, this is not a typical uh, intravenous saline. This is not a vaccine that's supposed to stop a disease for gosh sakes. This is doing something else and that's enough to at least get people, um, their minds peaked. Um, the, the people who have seen the same kind of evidence, even within what we call the movement, this is difficult to dismiss, even in its crude $300 microscopic form that it is in. This is really, really hard to explain in any other way than a technical method. And that, that's the only assertion I can make with this is that these ribbons and these crystals with stuff in them tend to coexist. And we're also reading MAC addresses from people. So there's a connection there. And we can make that connection, but these are not typical injectable products. But if people start to admit that this is happening or they, are, they decide that they're going to emit, uh, admit that people are emitting these MAC addresses, Suddenly, none of this stuff can be dismissed 
And I think that's part of the hangup is if they even start to, they started with graphene. There's no graphene anywhere. There's nothing in graphene. And then if you look at the nanotechnology, it's involved in every single process step of making nanotechnology. So even that first admission will lead to another set of admissions that will eventually get to, they basically put a chip inside you. So I think that's where the resistance is coming through. The, the, only, the only careful part that we need to do about this is not read too much into the evidence that we have and to take the evidence for exactly what it is, which is just evidence. Yeah. This is what we see in the microscope. We we don't see what's happening inside the body, especially inside the tissues, because when we do a live blood analysis, or, or as I call it, dead blood analysis, because I, I, I like to look at the dead blood when nothing is moving on, on, and and uh, only the nanotechnology suspended in hydrogel is you know still uh, operational but the i assume these images are from the vaccine uh, yes. i remember that day when i saw your report on the fact that nanotechnology has been found in a dental anesthetic i remember the day that was the day when i decided to acquire a microscope because oh, right on. Uh, because I couldn't uh, take possession of a vaccine in the United States for dental anesthetics. I called my dentist and he provided me with uh, multiple samples. I also asked him to look in his cupboards uh, if uh, there's anything pre-COVID and he got me some old samples. So I can't wait to look at those. But I think uh, the expiration date on them is 2016. And from talking to David Nixon, he finds nanotechnology even in samples that have expiration date of 2011. So I think this has been in pharmaceutical products for a long, long time without anyone detecting it. So yeah, I've seen this, this, this. All these images I have, I can I, I can show you my own library, and I also mix uh, these pharmaceutical products with biological samples, and what I see is just remarkable. The way it behaves in the presence of a biological sample is completely different it's like it's like a different material it breaks down into these little bots and they literally chase after uh red blood cells <laughs> and they attack them they empty them out they fill them with nanotechnology this is what i would call the empty shell hypothesis because when um when you look at the blood and there's you know has been nanotechnology in it but the ratio is really uh, you know, 6 million to 0.1. Yeah. When you mix one drop of dental anesthetic, for example, with one drop of blood, the ratio is really high. And so it goes and empties every single red blood cell. And I'm just, uh, I put on Pink Floyd and just observe <laughs> the magic of nanotechnology. Nobody wants to sit there for eight hours and watch this stuff. We have. Yeah. Once you watch this stuff for an extended amount of time, there's nothing 
there's nothing left that says that this is a purely biological process. You see the mechanistic nature of this, and I don't know how to explain it better than that. David Nixon's assembly videos kind of help oh do that. But ob observing real time something that, that is that is alien to the the biological systems and what looks like attacking it or at least interrogating it, there, there's no way to think of anything else besides a electromechanistic human-made process being applied to a natural process. You can't get away from it. Five samples that I keep. Uh, the last one I published was a slide of one drop of carbocane and one drop of blood. 51 days after slide preparation, it was full of moving nanobots. 51 days. This is no biology. It doesn't have any metabolic needs. It gets energy from probably electromagnetic uh, background. And I'm uh, quite honestly, I'm afraid to look at it because it will be 100 days and I will publish it and it will have the same headline, headline stunning nanotechnology uh, survives when everything is dead. This yeah. is probably why those MAC addresses have been found at the cemeteries. Let's venture out further. My next question, would it be correct to call this technology implants? Uh, that's a question that has been on my mind. This is a question that I, I have seen people stumble on, and this is my answer to it. Implant, by definition, is an insert or fix uh, tissue or an artificial object in a person's body. So basically, it's something that doesn't belong there, but it's in the body. So therefore, everything that doesn't belong there technically is an implant. And then we can say we can see macro implants, something that we can see with the naked eyes. And they usually physically or surgically inserted in the, into a human body. And then there are micro implants, the invisible to the naked eye. They can be assembled within the body and can be administered covertly under the pretense of pharmaceutical injections and vaccines. Do you feel comfortable about this framework? The framework is good. The, the term implant, I'm sure that it's a legal term in some of these documents that we've seen. Uh, it seems like it's a loophole that they can get around because um, uh, an implant seems like something fabricated in a, in a lab or in a technological installation and then slipped into the body whole where this is a different technology where it actually does its organization and assembly within the body. So that's how they could get out of saying it's an implant. No, no, it's just an injection. What, what it does inside the body is a, you know, that's not an implant, but what they, there, there's little doubt that they have implanted technology within our bodies. That, that is a, that is a definite statement, whether you're talking about the hydrogel or all the other names that come up. It's, it's definitely a technology and even delivering the mRNA, if that is a thing, or the, the RNA itself, that also is a, has a very, very highly technical and technological edge to it. So even then when they admit that, the, the technology discussion has to come in at that point. Almost, almost uh, in any dialogue regarding these injections, 
there's a technological aspect to it. And we're just finding out the hard way that it's a heck of a lot more technological than people have been promoting. I'm glad you agree with this framework because when we call something an implant, everybody immediately thinks, oh, they put a chip in your brain. No, not necessarily. It can be something that is microscopic, nanoscale, and then assembled within your body. And it's still an implant because it doesn't belong there. The next question, what's the difference between emitting and detecting MAC address from wireless hardware and from people? I think we partially covered it, but let's see if we can add something more. All right, so MAC address from wireless hardware is known as Internet of Things, or if it's a nano size hardware, it would be called Internet of Nano Things. But when we detect MAC address from humans, that would be a sign of Internet of Bodies or IOB. It's also called Internet of Bio Nano Things because of the size of the technology. It's also called Intra Body Network. It's also called BAN body area network, or WBAN, wireless body area network. These, actually, those last two terms, BAN and WBAN, are found in Wikipedia. For the skeptics, if it's in Wikipedia, it's true. And, of course, we know that Wikipedia is not completely 100% kosher and monitored by intelligence agencies and, uh, um, and things like that. But what's interesting is that the MAC address that we can identify from a wireless, from a legitimate wireless hardware is identifiable because of the first three pairs. But the MAC address emitted from the body and detected from a human body, to us, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And it, but it simply means that it uses a different protocol. It's not Bluetooth. It's something else. It just happened to emit something, emit information in that the Bluetooth range, that 2.4 gigahertz. That, look at that sea of letters and all the things that they're trying to say. This is good. I think uh, I think the next slide has my pseudo response to that, if I remember right. Walk us through, please. Well, that, that's how I'm going to answer that question. It's a, it's a logic tree. So on the left side is if, and then my inference on the right-hand side. So the, the, these, are the, these are the questions that came to my mind as I started to look at this and research it and try to make sense of it. And it's, I, I still haven't made sense of it. But this is sort of the if-then that everyone needs to go through in their own minds in order to produce more of these research projects like you just talked about about, well, you went to this nature preserve and then suddenly the, the signal went extinct and then what brought it back? That is a perfect little micro study that can be repeated by people all over the planet. So this is basically just the questions I'm asking myself in order to try to influence the way that I start to investigate this in general. But if, if they're reading a readable code, then there has to be technology in the body. That's the first one. And that's, that is true. And we may be seeing just this tiny little segment of code that happens to correspond to an existing protocol. 
and yes, there's probably all kinds of data on either side of that segment that we're seeing. Maybe it's the, the precursor and everything is after it or something like that. We can detect that. But uh, it's it's not the typical Bluetooth device, but it's an emitted signal that is interpretable, and that's enough for us to go to get going. So the logical inference from that is there is technology within people's bodies, period. Now, did it come from the vax? Did it come from the swabs? Did it come from other injectable products? We don't know. But there's a way to tie that in there. But we at least know that the people who are the most likely to produce these MAC addresses, they're all vaxxed, that, that I can say. And the rest of these are just a cascade of different ideas that sort of branch off of that. Uh, the, the, the theme between these ifs and then is that if we can detect it, then that means that it's being emitted. We can probably find the source of the emitter, and then we can probably investigate how to dismantle it. The, the evidence that goes behind this that is just purely paper and diagram are with the WBAN and all those, those acronyms that you went through on the previous slide. There are IEEE, which is the International Electrical Engineering Nerd Fest. They have standards that, that show all this stuff. And you don't, you don't get a bunch of electrical engineers into a room and make them decide on something without group therapy. These IEEE committees, in order to make these standards, are there there's not a lot of egos involved but there's a lot of opinions involved they went out of their way to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars in coordinating all those people to make a standard for this and they don't do that just for, out of the oh wouldn't it be fun if the, those committees produce professional documents that then dictate the development of products that's why those standards exist those standards exist for this exact technology the other part of this is that if there is something within the body that is emitting this signal, that's not a joke either. That's a trillion dollar effort. And you just don't do that because you think you can or because you just want a message that says, hello world. <laughs> you there, There's a theme for this and you don't spend that those kinds of uh, truckloads and truckloads of money and acres and acres of engineers working on this stuff. You don't do that for no reason. So that's why this is also so important is to answer these questions and do the if-thens. If they spent all this money in order to develop this nanotechnology that goes in the body, then what do they plan to do with it? And we have those answers from Harari and Schwab and everybody else. We know what the plan is. So to me, what we're doing is in the snapshot in time is we're finding out how long, how far along this process are they? And is there a way that we can stop that if we want to stop this? That's that's what I see. Okay. I have a question about the uh, couple of lines uh, toward the end. The location of the, if the location of the transmitter is known. So the question is, are you aware of hardware that can do that? Not just to measure MAC address, because I'm basically just standing next to the person and it doesn't matter where I put toward the feet or toward the head, it, it will give me the same strength mm -hmm. of the signal. But is there a, maybe like a wand or or some kind of um, more sophisticated device that I can go all around the body and pick it up? Yes, there's uh, EMI, electromagnetic interference, is how I learned about radio frequencies. 
I, I'm not an antenna guy and I'm not a transmitter guy. What I am is somebody who worked on power electronics uh, that were all transistor based. So variable frequency drives is what I really worked on in inverter technology for solar applications and other energy applications. So rather than developing a radio frequency system, I was chasing radio frequency and try to get rid of it. It was the bane of my existence. So there's, uh, I don't have it handy. It's back in my backpack, but um, in the, in the short duration experiments that I did with people emitting these Mac addresses is you can make the signal more strong if they're near a DC standing magnetic field. Then the, the, the places where I find with my EMF meter, and I just have a, a trimeter. Um, if you're interested, I'll go grab it out of my backpack. But it seems to be the, the injection location is a hot spot. Um, it, they, the signal seems to be stronger, especially when I'm immersing them in some kind of electric field. Uh, the heart, uh, near the genitals. Interesting. And I need, uh, I've done more women than I have men, um, but uh, right directly over the ovaries, I've also detected in one woman, I, I found a stronger signal than any worms. So I think one, one of the other offshoots of this whole investigation is when these, when these transmitters are up and operating, can we identify their exact location? And then there are there uh, non-invasive, well, moderately invasive methods in order to dismantle that technology. But yes, I would say that, um, Targeting that transmitter, I don't know whether it would be an EMP or it would be a, a lotion with chlorine dioxide within it or something like that. But uh, because it's it's perhaps this flexible liquid gel-like material, maybe there's a way to dissociate it and keep it from working. So that's that's one of the good questions. When you said this specific organs, heart, genitals, ovaries, I can totally see this nanotechnology been developed with a different affinity to different tissues. Yeah. Um, this kind of specialization is not sci-fi at all. We know because we we know antigenic makeup and uh, receptor makeup of basically every tissue we pretty much decoded as far as the chemical composition and the surface protein composition, it would be that hard to build something with an affinity to a certain tissue. Let's move to number six. What powers Mac emitting technology in conventional wireless hardware and in humans? I think it's a reasonable question to ask. And I think that the conventional wireless technology can be obviously uh, charged by plugging in batteries, and no touch recharging technology. What powers body uh, wireless networks? Uh, we don't really know. Uh, could it be a body's own electricity? Could it be radio frequency that permeates everything? Uh, so really, I have more questions than answers in this area. Do you have anything to add that? You're going to have to go back to your nature preserve. <laughs> that's true the gravity of what you found there and what we're finding here i live in a zero emf environment so i'm unique and i can i can do these things but these these circuits we know power down that they lose power and they 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 quit emitting or at least uh slow down their emission frequency so that's that's not good or bad news it's just news but uh the next slide i i show some possibilities 
So this is from Mike Adams. This is when he actually did research on the shots. They found exotic materials within these shots that have no business being there or very little business being there. And then the next slide, all I did is I took the periodic table and uh, mapped all of those right there. And this is just one study and it's one person and you probably find a little bit more, but anyone who's into the, the production of batteries, uh, production of supercapacitors, capacitors, electronics in general, these all have a meaning there. So all of these substances that Mike Adams has found, and I would love for him to continue, but uh, let's see, I, I won't write on this slide, but I'll at least go through them. So for example, for, for uh, lithium ion or other kind of exotic battery technologies, titanium, copper, zinc, nickel, these are all typical products that go in there. And these were found in the shots. Um, molybdenum is uh, an industrial lubricant, for example, and it probably has some other characteristics that are good for this. I don't know why they would find molybdenum in there. Uh, silver and cadmium, those have extremely, it, it's it, they're one of the main ingredients in semiconductors and in conductors themselves. So basically all of this stuff, oh, and uh, over on 4A, so right here where it says, where it shows carbon, silicon, uh, germanium, and tin, it's column 4A. That's sort of the central point for awesome. all semiconductor manufacturer. So like for a solar panel, if it's silicon base, then you dope it with boron on this side of that line and phosphorus on the other side. So basically with the silicon or carbon-based platform, if you just take one piece on either side of this line, uh, you can make a semiconductor. So a lot of solar panels, for uh, for example, are gallium arsenide. Gallium arsenide. CadTel is another one. Cadmium and tell you, uh, tellurium. So there's tellurium and there's cadmium. So when you find these elements within there, there's there's a host of things that you can do, but one of those is also an antenna alloy. So tin is a, is a relatively good alloy for that. Um, aluminum is also very good. So basically any component, many, many components that you would like to do from an uh, electrical, electronic, microelectronic point of view is present within those shots. And I'll quit drawing them. Yeah. <laughs> when I look under under microscope, I constantly see these uh, structures that... Um, very very high energy they're just blindingly bright and uh it only can come from something that metallic and there shouldn't be anything metallic of that size super super bright and you can't miss them they're extremely high they're like red they irradiate bright yellow red oranges just like definitely high energy and they're sizable and they're completely round and i just have no explanation this is not biology this is not supposed to be in uh, the blood or in the pharmaceutical products so the, the one that really blows me away is uh on the on the far left um cesium is the most exotic thing <laughs> that you can possibly imagine how that made its way into an injected product is beyond me that has extreme significance in electronics and especially high frequency electronics. So I think that's one of the the one of the red flags. But cesium is is it's an exotic 
it's a very exotic molecule or element, but it also is breeded within nuclear reactors. That's one of the derivations of cesium. So do that connection. A breeder reactor going to a an, an, uh, an anesthetic or into a, an injectable product in general or into a vaccine. How does that happen? That 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 shows intervention. How did that happen, and how did we allow it to happen? That's my <laughs> question. <laughs> and that that follow up from that is somebody knows damn well how that happened. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to this. is very impressive. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Another philosophical question, we need to establish a good language model for us to communicate uh, reliably. So when we say certain things, we mean certain things, and we understand certain things. Is biology a part of technology? Here's my answer. Yes, technology is an overarching category that, among other things, include natural biology and synthetic biology. If technology evolved by natural means would constitute natural biology and uh, technology artificially designed would constitute synthetic biology. And the main difference is that in natural biology, things evolve. Uh, everything has predecessor with predictable inherited characteristics. So you, for example, that can go from a producing energy uh, by a chloroplast to producing energy by a mitochondria. There should be steps in between. In design technology, you can do it just by changing the program. And I think that's, in that sense, biology is technology. It just evolved naturally and gradually. What do you think about this framework, Matt? The the synthetic biology, we're talking about overlaps anyway. We're unifying different disciplines in order to figure this out. So they've already unified those disciplines in order to make this happen. So when, when you talk to an engineer, they'll say, oh, yeah, it's all tech. If you talk to a biologist, they'll say, oh, yeah, it's biological with some tech attached to it. But um, the parentheses after synthetic biology, artificially designed technology, all of those are also true independently. So synthetic biology is artificial, kind of by definition. It also is designed, yeah. which to me says that it can be undesigned, yeah. that it can be retro-designed, or it can be at least figured out. They call it reverse engineering. That's not a thing. And then it's technology in and of itself, whether or not it has this biological component to it. So all of those are true. But when they're when they're all true simultaneously is what we're trying to figure out, and that's why we're interdisciplinary. Right. Yeah, the, you you're absolutely right. This is definitely an interdisciplinary uh, subject. I uh, just uh, noticed that a lot of people freak out when you call it biology, or you can call biology a natural biology form of technology, and there's really no nothing to. Freak out about it. We 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 mean certain things. We we still we're still on the side of natural biology. We are natural bi biology. Homo sapiens is natural biology, but we been interrupted and invaded by something that has not evolved by natural means. 
Question number eight. There's a total of nine questions. I, I thought we'll keep it uh, today's conversation to uh, some of the short format because there's just too much. And this is like an introduction. This is a Intrabody Networks 101. Beginner's course for me because I have a lot to learn. And I would like to come back and and speak at the next uh, sort of uh, level of understanding. But th this question today is, what are the practical consequences of this technology being operational in humans? In other words, you get into a taxi cab, you start a conversation, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know. They, I heard that they found nanotechnology. So, so what? First of all, Mr. Harari, his prophetic statement that he made it only two weeks after COVID pandemic was announced by the WHO. The vaccines were still supposedly in the works, but he was already saying that the future generation will talk about uh, COVID pandemic as the beginning of the era of uh, surveillance under the skin. So he was well informed what was coming in the vaccines, that there's nanotechnology that would enable surveillance of our bodies from within. You don't need to uh, have a phone uh, next to you, or you don't need to add an Apple Watch. You don't need to wear a, a weird helmet. It's already inside your body. That's what he meant. But it goes beyond just the surveillance. When it comes to the central nervous system, this subject is really close to my heart and to my brain because <laughs> nanotechnology enables <laughs> by bidirectional brain cloud interface. And think about it, bidirectional brain cloud interface, not just to a computer, but to a computer on the cloud, on the network. And you don't need to wear a helmet. A modern state of technology is that it can be picked up by very sensitive, very advanced sensors. And this technology allows to read from the living brain and write to the living brain. And that is changing what makes us, us. Let's listen to Dr. James Giordano, a neuroweapon expert speaking at the Naval Academy just a year ago. This, Ugh. all right, yeah. Take a deep breath Ugh. and listen to Dr. Giordano. I mean, we're really going into the substrate of the thing that makes us, us. The essence of self, if you will. I don't care how you disguise it. What we are doing is we are scanning the brain and from that literally interpretively reading its functions, which are mind. And we are then utilizing these capabilities to then back intersect with that brain and therefore control brain structure and function, ergo mind. I don't care what kind of game you play. It's mind reading and mind control. Blatantly so. Mm -hmm. Blatantly so. This answers the question, Nanotechnology, uh, what's in it for me? This what makes nanotechnology scary. Biosurveillance under the skin 
and mind control. And not mind control, he he ha ha. It's you know, it makes people roboticized. It's in a very sophisticated way that is run by AI. So you don't even know that you've been mind controlled, that you've been manipulated. And that's the scariest part. And people just go around their business like it's just business as usual. But we are at the precipice of neurological biosurveillance and remote neural control and interference at the global scale. scale. When uh, uh, Andreas Freitas wrote his paper in 2019, uh, Brain uh, Cloud Interface, he said that we have all this technology to enable it on the scale of 8 billion brains, that we have nanotechnology, that this nanotechnology will, will, will go into the brains and create endoneurobots that sit in the uh, body of the neuron, synaptobots, the ones that sit in the synapses, synaptic spaces inside the, the neurons, and gliobots the supporting tissue of the of the central ner nervous system. And that will create enough information that will be transported to the cloud. Then in the cloud, you will have a model of your brain, a simulation of your brain that artificial intelligence will run experiments, will improve um predictive algorithms based on your individual brain architecture, individual brain conductivity. It's all, there's enough computational power to accomplish that. That's what the 2019 paper said. And then after that, there's not a single paper with the term brain cloud interface can be found because that technology went underground. It means it became operational. It became a part of the military industrial complex. It, it is something that I think we are living through. And to some, it's been made obvious that they are part of it. Uh, there's a group called, called targeted individuals that experience firsthand this uh, neurological biosurveillance and interference. And then there's a group of people who absolutely, it's covert to them. So they, they've been manipulated, but they are not realizing that they are. And they just live happy lives and they don't want to even know about what nanotechnology can do for them. Yes, they found nanotechnology, but what does it really do? Nothing. It does nothing to me. Therefore, I am okay. This is a busy slide. Yeah. So this is going back to Matt, the reasonable and rational engineer. The, I don't do diagrams very well, but there, there's a woman named Sabrina Wallace who talks a lot about this stuff in the IEEE standards and the the really out there stuff that seems to be the end game of everything that you just discussed the compelling question to me is where is this tether between the body and the rest of this the cloud and the other technology and the terahertz stuff 
that I can't measure and I don't know about and uh, it's difficult to understand. But they they really played their hand a little bit too open on this one. So this is one of many little windows that we have in order to figure this stuff out. But the like I said, you don't you don't spend trillions of dollars to try to do nothing or to just do a little hobby project. So the question to me is how far along are we in this stuff? And we have very, very good indications that they have already, that this is just the latest round of the technology that we've been given. You talked about the anesthetics from way back when. When you go and look at those, my guess is that you will find that there's a less mature version of that technology in those injectables. So the, they they think in terms of, of decades and centuries, as far as controlling human beings goes, this is just a big effort it's a it's a whole bunch of stuff all at once, but that's an opportunity for us to 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 get in the way of it at least. But it's not it's 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 not necessarily understanding the aura of the body or the 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 biofield or anything like that. What I see in this, and this is from somebody who's a good monkey wrencher, is I see them just looking at a whole bunch of different frequencies being applied to the body, figuring out which ones are harmful. And suborning that technology and putting that in. So it's a, just a disruptive technology. I use the analogy of the of the symphony. To screw up a symphony, all you have to do is detune the violins and you don't have a very good symphony anymore. So I think that's all we're seeing right now. Is, is this disruptive technology that's been applied to this miracle network of the human body in the most uh, clunky, insulting way for the overall design of the human interaction. So that everyone, when they, when they run out of ideas about how the body works, they always say, and God intervenes, or it's a miracle, or we don't know about that yet, but it's gotta be something complicated. They just took some of those hints and started to mess with them. And that's what this bio weapon is. But, but to me, that that's, that's such an easy way. If I, if I wanna, uh, the excavator that's working in the river right now, if I wanna disable that, I don't have to know how an excavator works. I just know that putting a whole bunch of sugar in the gas tank is going to stop it from working. So that's our job now is to figure out where the, where the tank is and how to get the, the sugar into it. So it's, it, we can start to understand the overall technology, but that will never be given to us. There's not going to be a whistleblower. There's not going to be anybody who helped invent this stuff unless they're really brave individuals, but we can disrupt them back. So if this is a disruptive technology, and I would say that people's bodies and the, their interactions with their phone hint at the idea. Now this is just very miniaturized, but it's the same idea. Everyone sitting around a table on their on their smartphones, everyone having this thing in their hand at all times. It's a tiny step forward to say that 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 is now in the body instead of in the hand. That's not a leap. That's that's a shuffle. So this, the 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 scary part of this is already in place. And that's the dependence on the on the smartphone right now. Then this this next step is not so scary once you realize that the interactions with phones and banks and Amazon and everybody else that that, that reading those those data are already being collected. The only difference between that and the inner body network is it's in your it's in your hand versus in your body. They don't care that you purchased something. They care where you did, how you did, what you had. All these data are very valuable and they're already collecting that. So this is not that much more of a maturation of that process. I can see sort of 
a movement maybe being created that to get rid of the smartphones and and it could have worked maybe a few years ago but at this point it's already too late because it's already in your body so too little too late but I can see I I, I know people turn off um, electricity in, in their entire uh, house for the night, Wi-Fi and everything, and trying to minimize Wi-Fi, using wires, too late, too late. So, yeah, uh, we need we need something more radical, something more disruptive. I understand what you're saying. You, you, you don't have to know how everything works. You just need to know the key elements to disrupt it. And I'm, and I'm okay with that plan. Well, and if, if you don't want, if you don't want to get rid of your cell phone, if you don't want to get rid of your smartphone, but you don't want them to be able to read your body data, then you have a decision to make. Either you allow them to take all the information from you because you can't get away from your phone, or you can try to disrupt some of the technology that they implanted if that's just too too much for you. If you don't want them to know your heart rate and your blood pH and all these things that they they have been working on for decades if you don't want that you have to get rid of that or you have to get rid of your device it's it's just a choice that they're that that's going to be very very clear that they have to make and if it's the 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 bad choice to me is i'll just accept it all privacy is dead you know what am i going to do so i have an emitter in my body no big deal that's the only response that scares me people need to understand that it is way beyond the heart rate it is reading your thoughts and manipulating your decisions. That's, do you want that? That I want our listeners, our viewers to take home. All right, last and final question. Could Mac address a meeting phenomenon be a game changer in the public's understanding of the new technological reality? This is why we are here today to talk about this paradigm shift. And this is what I think it's about. This is what our today's conversation is about. It's about reframing the way we talk about this. So if the old question was, uh, when we were talking about vaccine was, uh, the, the questions were, have you been vaccinated? Which brand, how many times? Have you had complications from vaccine? Now the new question is, do you have intrabody network? Ban or W band? Do you emit the MAC address? Is it permanent? Is it dynamic? And how is it powered? And finally, did you give consent to be invaded by nanotech? Because this is exactly what it is. It's an invasion by nanotech. So moving from old questions to the new questions, I don't want to hear any more old questions because they're obsolete. This is where the conversation should be. Yes, the new questions are very valuable. And there's a whole bunch more that probably go associated with that. But with the caveat that all those old questions must be answered in full and with full awareness of what's happened so far. Otherwise, we can't have this conversation. Right. Also, their final questions 
from Matt and Len. Uh, it already includes uh, the first one. Did you give consent to be invaded by nanotechnology? Do Did you agree to have an intrabody wireless network? Did you agree to have your brain read and intervene with? Those are the questions I would like to leave our viewers with. The, the gravity of having to answer those questions is enough to, to make people a little bit intimidated. My hope is that videos like this one and, and any more that you produce will not only be your personal process in understanding more about this, but that it will inspire other people to go out and look for themselves because the, the human race has never been confronted with these questions to answer. <laughs> these are very, very difficult, but I can see groups of people on different continents repeating the same work and all coming together, with, which is we've been fooled by one of the most sophisticated psychological operations in that has ever been. They have, we, we have, there's direct evidence that we have technology within us that will allow them to execute the plan that they're so proud of. And that we can determine how far along that process is by investigating this technology, but it starts with admitting that we have this technology that we allowed unknowingly into our body. Now, what do we do about it? And that's that's a that's not a scary place to be, but it's a precarious place to be. And so pushing the frontier of this stuff, all this stuff that we just talked about, is the only way to help ensure that their plan doesn't make it. If you don't want your, your mind to be read and your body to be controlled, despite having technology resident in your body, what do you do about that? Uh, unless the only other answer is to acquiesce to the entire thing and just become part of that world. Every other decision before that involves work, work and understanding and collaboration. So that's, I guess, the preachy part of this. I couldn't have said it better. Matt, that was a great way to end the show. I want people to look at these questions one more time, read it out loud, watch this video with their loved ones, with their colleagues. Pay attention, ask questions, have a conversation. It's about time we got these questions answered.